So what matters most in your life? That's really the, the guiding question of the season of Lent. It's also the question before us today. This is the, the second week of our five-week Lenten sermon series exploring the theology of the Ten Commandments. Every week we're going to be talking about two commandments. And so last week, obviously, we talked about the first two, which are uh, you, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make for yourself an idol. We talked about how these first two commandments reveal the same theological truth, and that is that, that God must be the first priority in our lives above all else because it is God and our faith in God that provides uh, foundation, meaning, and purpose for a life well lived. So today, we're obviously going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to read the third and fourth commandments. This is Exodus chapter 20, verses 7 to 11. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant the author of Exodus. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in the old King James Version of the Bible, the third commandment tells us, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And I'm guessing that many of us are familiar with this version of the commandment. Growing up, uh, I really thought that meant just one thing, do not cuss using God's name, right? Anybody else think that growing up? Yeah, maybe still do. Now, um, I spent four years on active duty in the United States Navy. (laughs) and four years in Navy ROTC before that, which means that the, the first eight formative years of my adulthood were spent in a, in a context in which cussing is, uh, if not the preferred, <laughs> then certainly an acceptable method of communication. Having spoken to a few veterans after the first two services, I know I'm not alone in this, so they verified. All branches are the same. And so if the, if the third commandment really meant don't cuss using God's name, I'd have had more violations on my ledger than I care to count coming out of the Navy. And this is a true story. When I started seminary, I made it a goal to eliminate one cuss word or phrase from my vocabulary every year. And that was 22 years ago. Let's just say I'm still working on it. (laughs) My wife forbids us from watching uh, football with church friends because I violate this rule when I'm watching the Cowboys and the Irish. Well, to my relief, that's actually uh, not what the third commandment means. Don't get me wrong, cussing in general is something to avoid. We had the youth choir at the 845 service. I want to be very clear about that. Uh, Cussing's not good. Dragging God into our vulgarity is even worse, so we should avoid that for sure. But the third commandment is much more profound than simply encouraging us to have good social graces, as important as that is. The third commandment was decreed by God 
in an era when uh, it was common to, to swear an oath using the name of whatever God you believed in. That was often the way that, that commitments were made, social contracts were, were made. Um, and this is like in the name of whatever God you believed in. And so it's in that context that God is saying to be careful when making an oath in God's name. If, if we do, we better live up to it, and we certainly better not be using God's name to cheat or trick someone, as our children's time video reminded us. <laughs> now, as Christians, we believe that there are, in fact, some times when swearing an oath in the name of God is quite appropriate. I think our marriage vows are the clearest example of this. When Whitney and I got married, the, the vows in our United Methodist hymnal were very clear. They still are. Uh, I said to her, in the name of God, I, Chris, take you, Whitney, to be my wife. You see, the, the goal of the third commandment continues the theme of the first two, which is that uh, if God is the first priority in our lives, then we, we should honor God by the way we live and by, by the things that we say. Jesus himself gave us a shorthand for this in the most famous prayer in the Christian tradition, a prayer that we uh, usually say in worship. It's Communion Sunday, so Alex is gonna sing it for us here shortly. Um, it's the prayer that we pray maybe even every day. I do with my boys. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Honored be thy name. Respected be thy name. Uh, cherished be thy name. Not just in what we say, but in the way we live. That's what, that's what the third commandment means. <clears throat> so then moving on to the fourth commandment, this, this one very, may very well be the best known of the first four, or at least uh, the one we think of and perhaps even struggle with the most. When we think of the word Sabbath, I think we, we typically focus on and maybe even just make an equivalence with um, not doing any work or taking a day off. That's certainly important. We are told to keep the Sabbath in the Exodus version of the Ten Commandments, quote, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. So obviously, refraining from work on the Sabbath is, is a big deal because even God uh, rested after creating the world. But the thing is, that's only half of the story or half of the verse specifically. The commandment begins with the word remember, and that not coincidentally is the same word that's used all the way back in Exodus chapter 2 verse 24 when God heard the Israelites groaning under their slavery in Egypt. That verse says, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what we need to know about that is that Hebrew does not make a distinction between calling to mind and paying mind Two, which means that the Hebrew word that we translate as remember uh, does not just mean thinking of something that happened in the past. It implies an intentionality that our English word remember does not have. The point of that verse early in Exodus is, is not that God recalled that God had made a covenant with God's people. It's that God knew and intended to do something about having made that covenant. And so the fourth commandment does not just decree that we uh, remember that there's such a thing as a Sabbath. It decrees that we keep the Sabbath. And then there's this really important word um, at, the, at the last part of that commandment. It's part of the commandment itself. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And that word holy 
carries a, a lot of theological weight. We'll, we'll talk about that after we read our second text, which is um, a, a glimpse into what Jesus thought of the Sabbath. So this is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. Listen again, friends, for God's word. One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Amen. So some fun uh, Ten Commandments trivia. As far as we know, the Fourth Commandment is the very first time in human history that a day of rest was written into law. In the ancient world, the workday was limited only by the hours of daylight and work happened seven days a week. So of the many innovations and contributions that our monotheistic faith tradition has made to humanity, uh, this is an important one. This is not a minor one, but, but over the centuries, the list of prohibited activities on the Sabbath grew. In his excellent book about the Ten Commandments called Words of Life, uh, which is available in our church library. It's a great Sunday school study or small group study if you're looking for one. Adam Hamilton cites the, the following examples of activities that are prohibited by, uh, on the Sabbath by something called the Talmud, which is the, um, the central text of rabbinic Judaism. So the following things are prohibited on the Sabbath. Adding fresh water to a vase of cut flowers, um, rubbing soap to make lather, switching off an electric light, if you've been to Israel, you know that there are special Sabbath elevators that stop on every floor so that occupants do not have to do the prohibited work of uh, pushing buttons. Now, I do not intend here to negatively judge these restrictions. Rigorous adherence to the law is an important part of Jewish spirituality and Jewish identity. It is certainly not my place as a Christian to criticize. But by the time of his ministry, Jesus taught that the Sabbath rules had become too restrictive. And so the Gospels are filled, as I'm sure you know, with examples of so-called Sabbath controversies, that's what scholars call them, in which uh, Jesus challenges the prevailing religious wisdom and he seeks to reset everybody's expectations. Our reading from Mark is the first example in the earliest Gospel of one of these Sabbath controversies, but all four Gospels are filled with them. Because for Jesus, as for us, the point of the Sabbath is not to uh, adhere to a, a rigid set of rules governing what we are and are not able to do one day out of the week. Rather, it's to set aside a day of rest each week, which is essential, and importantly, to set it aside in a particular way. Uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You see, the first four commandments all deal with the question of how we are to love God. Which is why, over the 3,500 years since God gave them to us, the Sabbath has included worship in the context of a community of faith because the fourth commandment has the same focus as the first three, God. Which means the Sabbath is about our relationship with God. Sabbath is not about us. It's not 
just about rest, as important as rest surely is. It's about um, what's called holiness. Uh, And an important part of our holiness, which literally means our set-apartness, God sets us apart for God's work in the world, part of that set-apartness or holiness uh, is worshiping God together as a community of faith, as we're doing now, obviously. And for many years, culture supported the Christian Sabbath as a set-apart day. Blue laws, uh, which prohibited, as you know, certain types of commerce, were actually on the books in Texas until 1985. And when I was growing up, it was unimaginable, unimaginable to schedule youth sports for a Sunday morning or any other youth activity for a Sunday morning. Sunday morning is for church. But these days, we have all manner of of reasons for missing missing church on the Sabbath so that the the second half of the fourth commandment, the reminder to keep it holy, uh, is sometimes more of a challenge for us than the first half, which is to take a day of rest once a week. But the commandment is clear that, that both are vital for our relationship with God. Uh, when I got out of the Navy in 1996, I went to work for a consulting firm. That's the job that brought me back to Dallas for which I will be eternally grateful. And we had this uh, extensive week-long orientation that included a study of one of the most influential business books of all time, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. It was originally published in 1989. It sold over 40 million copies. I'm sure many of you are either familiar with it or have read it. And this was was at the first major turning point in my professional life. Uh, The second would come five years later when I heard my call to ordain ministry. I had gone right from high school to the military, first uh, part-time when I was in college and then full-time four years after that with a very specific set of values and goals. As young officers, we were taught very specific and not really negotiable priorities and guiding principles. And so at the beginning of my civilian career, I I was starting over and I had this very different group of coworkers than uh, I had before who had been trained in very different ways than I had been to that point. I was was learning how to live in uniform. I was trying to figure out uh, who I wanted to be And so I found the seven habits to be very, very helpful because they invited me to ask these big questions. What were my guiding principles? Um, What did I want out of life? And to the point of our subject for today, uh, what matters most to me? I mean, it, it it seems like an obvious question, but do our actions follow what really is most important to us. Well, the the third of the seven habits is called, uh, is to put first things first. And the chapter in the book um, with that principle, it kind of unpacks it, begins with this great quote by Goethe, who said, things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things which matter least. I think we know that, but that's harder to put into action than may seem at first glance. Things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things which matter least. Friends, our Lenten journeys are intended to to refocus us on what matters most, to turn back to God where we need to, to be sure that God is at the center of our lives 
the first four of the Ten Commandments, the commandments that guide our love for God, command us, (laughs) these are not the Ten Suggestions, they command us that God must matter most. And that's for us. It's because a life built on that foundation is a life of meaning and a life of fulfillment and a life of purpose. So on the second Sunday in Lent, the, first, the third and fourth commandments give us two more ways to live as though God matters most by honoring God with our lives in both word and deed and by remembering not just to, not just to keep the Sabbath but to keep it holy. As we continue our journey to Easter, may it be so. Amen. Good morning, I'm Kristen Steed, our adult ministry coordinator. We come now to our time of receiving our tithes and offering. As United Methodists, we are committed to all the ways in which we grow in our discipleship through prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. As we grow together as a family of God, we recognize the transformation that happens with us personally and communally. As we go to God with our gifts, may we be reminded of God's grace and love for all of us. Let us give together. Please be seated. 
So now we come to the time when we celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. As a United Methodist congregation, we believe that this is the table of our Lord and so that everyone is invited forward, whether or not you're a member of this, of this church or the United Methodist Church or even if you're still figuring stuff out on your spiritual journey, this is the Lord's table. And what we believe is that the bread and the, and the juice are uh, a means of grace. We receive the grace of God in a very tangible way and that empowers us to go back out in the world and share that love uh, with the world. So the ushers will guide you forward. Um, the center sections will come down the center aisle, side sections will come down the side aisle, and there's another station in the balcony. Uh, you'll receive a piece of bread, dip the bread into the cup and receive both elements together. If you need a gluten-free station, there is one, and we have uh, someone here serving gluten-free, wafers and a separate cup, so please don't be shy about that. It's probably easiest to come down the, the center aisle. This is a special liturgy for early in the season of Lent, and you'll hear that the um, the litany, the prayer that I pray, uh, will reflect where we are in the season. All right, let's celebrate. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will we have broken your law, we have rebelled against your love, we have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You brought all things into being and called them good. From the dust of the earth, you formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, you bore up the ark on the waters, saved Noah and his family, and made covenant with every living creature on earth. When you led your people to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, you gave us your commandments and made us your covenant people. When your people forsook your covenant, your prophet Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and on your holy mountain he heard your still small voice. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join in their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. When you gave him to save us from our sin, your spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights to prepare for his ministry. When he suffered and died on a cross for our sin, you raised him to life, presented him alive to the apostles during 40 days and exalted him at your right hand. By the baptism of his suffering, death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. Now, when we, your people, prepare for the yearly feast of Easter, you lead us to repentance for sin and the cleansing of our hearts. 
that during these 40 days of Lent, we may be gifted and graced to reaffirm the covenant you made with us through Jesus. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, he gave thanks to you, he broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, again he gave you thanks, gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim together what we call the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and the fruit of the vine. Make them be for us the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his great love for us. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Amen.